Hey. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. And we are starting a new series. I know a number of you said you couldn't be here. You're listening online. So if you're listening online and you'd like to um, receive a copy of the source sheet that we have in front of you, please just reach out to me, israel.motsin at gmail.com. I'll be happy to send you a source sheet. I'm speaking to people listening, not you. Okay, so we are going to be discussing um, many complicated topics in Judaism. And we could have went about this in two different ways. One, I could have just summarized a couple of sources for you and done a three-part series and just thrown that at you. And you would have the basic summary and the basic overview of these heavy and loaded topics. Uh, And some of you probably would have enjoyed that a lot more, uh, just to have an overview. But I thought it would be more appropriate to do this, what I would consider the appropriate way, the proper way, and really go through the original sources. And uh, there is one book, it's, it's interesting, it's not studied all that much, as far as I've seen. It's a book written by the Ramban, Nachmanides, uh, easily the most important and influential Jewish thinker and scholar and leader of the 13th century. Uh, he was, he had, you know, he, he, was, he was born, I think he was like 10 years old when Maimonides, when the Rambam died. Um, but he is comparable in terms of his influence. He was both in terms of his influence, in terms of Psach Halacha, in terms of the, the legal process, in terms of Jewish thoughts. And he brought a couple of very important ideas to uh, Judaism about how we approach things like Kabbalah, its central role in Judaism. Uh, there's actually an amazing new, not a biography, but more of an overview of the thought of, of Ramban, called the book's called Nachmanides. It's written by... I'm blanking on his name, but it's recently published. You can look it up. Uh, it's a little dense, but it's a wonderful overview of his way of thinking. And we are going to be learning one of his books. Ramban is Ramban and Rambam are probably the two most important influential thinkers when it comes to understanding, end of life, death, etc. All those different pieces. And the Ramban, in his description, in his, in his uh, treatment of this topic, will incorporate the view of the Rambam often arguing and arguing vehemently, but also defending him against some of his critics. We know the Rambam, Maimonides, had some uh, significant critics uh, uh, opposing his views. And Nachmanides both argues, but also defends where he feels that there is a defense, a valid defense uh, for the Rambam. So we'll be seeing all of that. But because we are going to do it in this process, in this method, it's going to be a slow process. So if you're looking for a quick one, two, three, there are source sheets, Ellen, right where you're passing by, uh, there are source sheets there. If you're looking for a quick overview, I apologize, it's not going to be the class. We're going to be going through the, doing this systematically, going through the sources from the beginning, and we're going to be learning this book called Shar Hagamul, uh, which literally means the gate of reward, okay, written by Nachmanides, the Ramban. It's a short book, uh, sort of, short for his standards, but it's going to take us a little bit of time getting through it. And so again, I, I, the one thing I have to ask you is to have some patience as we go through these topics, because it's going to take some time to fully develop. There are source sheets on the, on the ledge over there as you go by. Uh, I don't believe it's been translated. This is, I'll be translating it uh, week by week as we, uh, so this is, this, uh, hopefully you'll let me know if there's any typos, okay? Um, okay, so with that, let's begin. I'm going to be reading it in both Hebrew and English. And, uh, and again, as you'll see, we'll need some patience, but we'll, we'll try our best. Usually the class will last for about 45 minutes plus. Today, I'm going to have to stop a little bit early. I have to run, unfortunately, to a funeral, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll try to learn for at least about a half hour together and get our feet wet in this important topic. Okay, with that, let's begin. You should have the source sheet um, and Shara Gamul. Uh, it should, you should see Hebrew. There's two sides of this page. So page one is where it starts with some Hebrew. Um, so again, I'll be reading it in Hebrew and there's an English translation uh, right underneath. So Tan Rabbanan, he begins by quoting something from the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, a very famous passage in the Gemara, and it says like this, Shlosha Sfarim Niftachim Barosh Hashanah. There are three books that are open on Rosh Hashanah. Echad Letzshel Tzadikim Gemurim, one is for the entirely righteous, 
One book is for those who are completely evil. Source each over there. That way. Um, and one, for the people in the middle. Okay, so this imagery should sound somewhat familiar. The idea on Rosh Hashanah, there are these books that are open, one for the completely righteous, one book for those who are completely evil, and one book for those in the middle. Okay, that's how it begins. Okay, um, Tzadik and Gemurim, the Gemara continues and says, those who are completely righteous, those who are completely righteous are written and signed immediately for life. Risham Gemurim, those who are completely evil, they are written and they're signed immediately for death. Beinonim, those who are in the middle, Tuluyim veOmdim, they are kind of hanging, they are undetermined, from Rosh Hashanah until Yom Kippur. Zachu, if those in the middle merit, they're written for life, Lo Zachu, Lemisa, if they do not merit, they are written for death. Okay, so let's pause for a second. This is the Gemara statement. A bit of a fame, right? This Gemara should sound somewhat familiar. This idea on Rosh Hashanah, we have the books open. We say it as part of the liturgy on Rosh Hashanah. The idea that there are three books open, one for the, the completely righteous, the completely evil, they are judged immediately on Rosh Hashanah. The Beinonim, those in the middle, okay, are judged between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And on Yom Kippur, by Yom Kippur, they are judged either for life or for death. Okay, now we should all have an immediate question as you read these words. What, should, what questions do you have? This is the end of the passage of the Talmud. If we were learning Talmud together, what questions would you have on this passage? Are you going to live or die? Well, that would be a personal question, but let's ask a philosophical question or a question, which is a good, important question. Yes? So are all the people who die in that coming year, was it because they were doomed or because of their evil? Correct, right? Meaning the implication of the Talmudic statements. And those who live. And those who live are, are by definition completely righteous. And those who die were, were evil. Now, that does not sit well with all of us, I imagine, right? Is that, is that accurate? Is that accurate to say that all those people um, who died were, died because they were evil? All those people who lived, lived because they were righteous? Probably not, right? That, that we have a very hard time swallowing that. And yet, this is this famous Talmudic statement. How do we make of it? How do we, what do we make of it? That, that, that this is, right? This is what the, the Talmud is telling us. What in the world does this mean? Okay, so his, the goal today is to address this passage. And what we're going to do, we're going to begin by explaining that there are a number of different stages and levels to judgment, to God's divine judgment. There is judgment in this world. We'll see uh, the Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur judgment, which we'll be uh, treating today. There is judgment after we die, and we'll see more than one judgment after we die, we'll get into that. But today, we're going to be focusing on the judgment that takes place while we live. Okay, so this is really going to be a little bit about understanding Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and touching upon, and this is going to be a major topic in this book, the question of righteous people suffering. The notion of tzaddik viralo, the notion of a righteous person who suffers, what is the basis for that, right? Where does that come from, right? Which is a, the question that's asked if you believe in a loving God, how is it that people who are righteous, how do they suffer, okay? So with that in mind, let's now see how he treats this, okay? So, so let's continue. If you're following in the English, it's the second paragraph in the English where it's no longer in, uh, 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 no longer in italics, okay? So he says like this, this that our sages said that the righteous are written for life and the evil are written for death. We're not referring to righteous people who have no sins. Nor are we referring to evil people who have no merits. 
He says, first of all, you see that there are many righteous people who die right away. And you see many evil people who live good, tranquil lives, right? So the first thing he starts telling us, we're going to, again, we're reading medieval commentators. They write and they think different than we think. So we're going to have to have a little patience as he develops his points, but let's, let's try to do so. So he says that two things. First of all, again, we see righteous people who live who die right away, and evil people who live a long life. What do we attribute that to? The first thing he attributes that to, he says, when we said a tzaddik, when we said a rasha, righteous and evil, we don't mean in the absolute sense, right? Because when we think about, because there are people who are complete, who are righteous, yet they die, right? So what he's introducing us to is the fact that there are these terms tzaddik, rasha, but there is also a really righteous person who has also sinned. And they're really evil people who have also done some good things, right? So what he's first starting to do is expand our definitions. When we use the word tzaddik, or we use the word rasha, are we referring to the person who has never sinned in their life? His answer is, no, there are other types of tzaddikim. There is the completely righteous tzaddik, someone who has never sinned. And there are people who are righteous, but they've also sinned. And there are people who are completely evil. And there are many others who are really not good people, but they also do some good things. Right? I've yet to meet someone in my personal life who is evil through and through. Right? Have you? I haven't. Again, am I, am I right? So let's, let's keep on reading. Okay, good. But I said my own personal life, I haven't met someone. Correct. I'm not, not disagreeing, right? But I'm saying, you know, we meet people, maybe they're like not good people, criminals, this and that. I've yet to meet anyone who is evil through and through, right? Who doesn't have any what we would call redeeming qualities, but in his terminology, some merits. Okay? So he says, the cast of Tzoveach, the verse says, um, so he's quoting now King Solomon, Shlomo HaMelech in Koheles, where he is sharing the landscape of human existence and sharing all the compelling questions, shares a question that puzzles many of us. He says there are righteous people who, in watching what happens to them, it seems like they are Rishaim. It seems like they are evil. V'yesh Rishaim, and there are people who are evil. And there are right evil people who it seems like based on what's happening and based on the way that they are being treated by heaven, they're winning the lottery, they're doing well in life, they're successful. It seems like they are tzaddikim. It doesn't make sense. So Koheles, King Solomon, the wisest of men, was troubled by this question, by the seeming, uh, you know, in- injustice that exists in the world. Ukvar Amru Chachamim and our sages said, Ein biadenu, we don't have the ability to understand Lo shalvas rishayim va'af lo We don't have the ability to fully comprehend the tranquility of the evil and the afflictions of the righteous. So we should stop here, right? Basically saying, you won't be able to get it. We're done. Don't worry. We're not done. But he wants to begin, he wants to say, I'm going to come to you in one second, Irma. He wants to begin by pointing out that this, that this Talmudic statement clearly cannot be understood simplistically. And we also don't fully understand, we all acknowledge that we don't fully understand why the righteous suffer, why those who are evil are tranquil. And he also wants us to understand that there is a spectrum. There is, yes, there may be, there are people at the edges, edges, edges of this continuum. Tzaddik over here, Rush over there. But there are many people who are righteous but have sinned and evil who have done good things and aren't necessarily in the absolute sense. And with those principles, he's going to tell us how he understands the Gemara. But yes, Irma.
Good, good. And he's going to get into that point as well. That's right, right. In other words, we have to, right. So the first thing we have to recognize, uh, 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 yes, Irma, your point is an excellent point that has to be amplified. And that is that, you know, us saying, well, I don't understand. This person was perfect. How could they, how could bad things happen to this person? The premise of that question is faulty because how in the world, right? We all know people, you know, who seem righteous and aren't and vice versa sometimes, right? Like how do, it's audacious to say like, we know when someone is really right. Like how, we have no idea. So, and that, Irma's point, first of all, is just a, a dose of humility walking into this question is recognizing ultimately we can't really make these assessments of true, who's truly righteous, who's not righteous. Ultimately, we're in, totally incapable of doing so. Okay, let's keep that in mind because that's a very important point. Let's jump to the next paragraph over here. Again, I'm going to continue in the Hebrew. This is the rule. Yesh avonos, there are sins. Shadino, its rule according to God's righteous justice system, there are sins where the rules are that the sins are punished in this world. And there are sins which the punishment is to suffer in the world to come. Okay, so basically first now he's introducing us to a new principle. When we sin, when we sin, there is punishment. Okay, now let's pause for a second. This is a very important pause, okay? What is the correlation between punishment and sin? We do something wrong, okay? And there's this notion that God punishes us for doing something wrong, okay? The simplistic way of looking at it is you're bad. Maybe when you were children, your parents maybe gave you a patch, right? Okay, you're bad, so they give you a patch. It's punishment, okay? That is a very simplistic way of looking at God's divine punishment, Ramchal, Ramosha Chaim Lutzato, someone who is greatly influenced by the thinking of the Ramban, explains, he has a book called Derech Hashem. Okay, it is like if you want an introduction to an overview of Kabbalistic thought, you want to read that book, Derech Hashem. It's fascinating. It's been translated by Feldheim and others. Fascinating book. And there he explains a principle which you'll find throughout many Kabbalistic books. And that is that the notion of punishment is not a patch across the face. The notion of punishment is some form of purification. That's the principle behind it. In other words, the, 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 the analogy that I always think of is that, you know, if you got a cut and there is some dirt in your cut, you're going to put some alcohol there and it's going to hurt, right? But in doing so, you're cleaning away the dirt from that wound and that allows you to be clean. Now, what is the background? Let's take a big step back. Why do I need to be clean? What's this all about? Okay, so we're going to go on a quick little journey over here. Again, there are going to be a lot of concepts over here, but they're all going to build upon another, and we'll review these over and over again. According to the Kabbalists, the way, and not just the Kabbalists, really, this is across the board. You find this Maimonides and others. What is, what is the ultimate goal of life beyond this world? The goal is the world to come, the reward in the world to come is what? Is closeness to God. That is the reward in the world to come, okay? Now, God is perfect. We're imperfect. God is immortal. We're mortal. God is completely spiritual. We're material. We got some problems, okay? So what do we do? How do we deal with this? The more we perfect ourselves, the more we live a spiritual life, the more we grow, the more we are God-like, and the more we could come close to God. The less God-like we are, the more distant we are from God. So if a person has sinned their entire life, then they are sullied, they're dirty, they are, they're, they're so dissimilar to God that they have no ability to really access and come close to God. So you need to be cleaned up before coming close to God. That is the basic principle behind suffering. Somehow, just like the alcohol burning on your cut cleans you, so too suffering cleanses a person 
and allows them to come close to God, which by the way, is an incredibly important idea when you think about it. Because what that tells you is that punishment from a Jewish perspective is radically different than it is in much of Christian thought, right? In, in, again, I'm no Christian expert, but, but in other faiths, punishment is an end to itself. You did something wrong, you need to suffer. In Judaism, punishment is a means to an end. Punishment and the suffering that comes with it is meant to therefore give you access to God, right? That's why after 12 months or 11 months, we stop saying Kaddish, right? Why do we, what do we believe? We believe, right? Let's talk about Kaddish for a second, briefly. We believe that there's this notion that a person, when a person dies, they must go through a process of some suffering, which we haven't yet discussed, but most human beings have sinned and therefore there is some suffering that takes place in the next world, okay? Which we're, again, we're, we're, I'm jumping ahead of myself, but after 11 months, it stops. Why? Because we believe at that point they've gone through enough purification that they can now move on to the next stage, right? The, tone, the, the, the notion of eternal damnation, right? Of a person being damned forever, of suffering forever, that's not a Jewish idea. Because in Judaism, suffering is always going to be a means to an end, right? The, or, We'll see, there might be some exceptions which we'll discuss and analyze, but, but the basic idea, the basic premise behind suffering is that it's not a punishment for the sake of punishments, it's punishment for the sake of purification so that a person can come close to God. That's the basic premise behind suffering and punishment from the perspective of Judaism. Does this make sense? I'm getting some blank stares. Are we, does this make sense? Okay, how did we get here? We got here because what he's telling us is that there are sins. So now, now that we have just a basic understanding of punishment, now he's telling us that there are some sins which God punishes us in this world, some sins which he punishes us in the world to come. Now where, if you were a religious person, a believer, where would it be better to receive your punishment? This world or the world to come? Right? Certainly, right? Just like the reward in the world to come is infinitely greater than the reward in this world, right? The Talmud tells us that a moment, all the moments of the pleasure of Olam Haba, the world to come, is greater than all the pleasures ever experienced by every single human being in all of time in one second. So if you could conceptualize all the pleasure ever experienced by you, Okay, and then multiply that by every person living in this world, and then multiply that by every single person ever in this world, and put that into a second. Oh boy, right? And then say that's one second of pleasure in the world to come. Pretty cool, right? But the same is true for the, the bad, right? And so there are some sins where a person gets punished in this world, which, like we're saying, from our religious perspective is actually better, although right now we're like, I don't want to deal with it, right? But conceptually, we can understand it's actually better. And there are some sins which the punishment is the world to come. Which is which, Nachmanides does not get into. Nachmanides does not get into. He doesn't say which one is which. There are other commentators who develop the system further and say that they're, and give a bit of a system, but Nachmanides is leaving that wide open. His point is, you should know, when we have those blemishes, which God has to clean so that we could enjoy the world to come, there are some which we get punished for in this world and some which we get punished for in the world to come. That's principle number one, okay? We're learning a lot of principles. We're going to pull this together. Bear with me, okay? Uh, the same is true for merits. Yesh my hand, there are those. Shebal Hagmul, the master of reward. Mishalim scharan ba'olamazeh, gives reward in this world. V'yesh ba'olamaba, and there are those where we get reward in the world to come. Again, which one's better? Where would we prefer to get our reward? In this world or the world to come? The world to come right? Because the reward there, like I just described, is far better. So we have to recognize when we think to ourselves, well, I did a mitzvah. 
Why did I just get punished? Slow down. First principle. Okay, first principle is that there is reward in this world and there's reward to come. If we're being honest with this belief, true to this belief, then we'd say, I don't want any reward in this world. I'd rather save it for where it really counts. Yeah? Just sitting with... Talk to me, talk to me. But then there isn't both. If you do a mitzvah, we offer, if you do something good for someone, you do get tremendous reward here. Does that mean you don't get reward? I mean, that goes against the whole idea of doing good things here. Why does it, could you explain that a little more? Why does it go against the... the... Well, you were saying, would you rather get rewarded here or get rewarded in the world to come? Right. I assume that the rewards that we get here for good deeds are also rewarded. It isn't one or the other. So, so some... We're only really talking about Avera. Well, we're talking about both, both mitzvot, and he said, and mitzvot as well. So it goes both ways, right? So this is scary, right? And this is a scary thought, and you should know. This is a thought which has troubled, uh, you know, there, there is a midrashic statement about Yaakov Avinu when he is returning after being on the run from Esav. He's on his way home, and he says, oh my gosh, maybe I got too much of, God, you promised me all these good things, but maybe I already got all my reward here because he walked away with a lot of wealth, and maybe that detracted from his reward in the world to come, right? So it's not so simple. Right? I, I want to, okay, I'm going to go on a tangent. We're going to go on a lot of tangents in this class, okay? But please, we, the only way this is going to work is if you ask questions, okay? So thank you for asking questions. Please ask. And if something doesn't sit well, tell me why it doesn't sit well. Just say it doesn't sit well. But to your point, just before you freak out about the fact that you're living a comfortable life, which I hope you all are, to whatever extent, but does that mean that every single bit of joy that we have in this world, we are losing out, right? That's a scary thought. I'll tell you, this has scared me as a person, right? As, as someone who believes in God, as someone who believes in the world to come, does this mean that every time something nice is happening to me, every time I sleep in my own bed and have my own blanket and my heating works and my AC works and, and my car, oh, oh, I, I'm losing out and I'm gonna come to the world to come. I'm like, sorry, Charlie, you had a great life. You live very comfortably, like you got nothing left, right? That's scary, right? If you take this seriously, it's truly scary. So there's something the Ram- Rambam, Maimonides, we're going to keep on going back between those Nachmanides, Ramban, who we're learning. Maimonides has a beautiful piece where he says like the following. I'll give you an analogy. Um, he says like this. He says, um, he says like this. I- I'll give you a modern analogy. You're a lawyer, whatever. You go to, uh, you go to, you get flown, you work for a firm here on the East Coast in Baltimore. You get flown to LA to, to take care of some, some work for your firm. And, uh, you know, you spend uh, two weeks there. Um, okay. You come back, you come back from, come back from the work. You, you close the deal. You did whatever you had to do. You come back home and you come to your boss and you say, okay, boss, uh, you know, I, I need to get my, my cuts. I, I, I closed the deal. I did everything I was supposed to do. I, I helped this client. I want my cut. And the boss says, your cut? You kidding me? You spent two weeks in LA. I paid, for your, I paid for your rental. I paid for a beautiful hotel. You went to not just to go to restaurants, you went to kosher restaurants, the premium. You went to, you know, I had to put you at a different place for Saturday. I basically, you lived it up for two weeks. What do you mean getting paid, right? Now, obviously that's ridiculous, right? Because one is payments as one is what we call expenses, right? If you go on a business trip, expenses go on the company credit card. That's the way it works, right? And so the Rambam, he doesn't use this analogy, as you can imagine, but the Rambam basically says, you should know there are two tracks. There is reward and there is expenses. The best case scenario is that the good that you're enjoying in this world, those are expenses. He says, this is the pshat, this is the explanation in the passage we say in Shema. im We say the second paragraph of Shema says, if you do my mitzvot, and all the good, it's going to rain, it's going to be this, it's going to be that. He says, what? Is there a reward in this world? He says, no. That passage is not about reward. That passage is about expenses. And so this could give you a little bit of breathing room. We hope. We hope that the, and basically what's the rationale behind that? God says, if you do what's good, I'm going to help you do what's good. That's just- 
So it's exactly. So it's basically God saying, so there is, we'll call it, it's a form of reward, but it's not really reward. God's saying, you're doing good things. I might help you along the way. So again, we don't know until we find out later, was it expenses or was it reward? Was this bed expenses or was this bed reward? I don't know. But just so you should know, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything we enjoy in this world is by definition detracting from our reward in the world to come because there is this notion called expenses. Okay? But the basic point these bring up is that you should know, general principle, some sins are punished in this world, some sins are punished in the world to come. Some mitzvos are rewarded in this world, some mitzvos are rewarded in the world to come. Okay? Uchsha'adam chote. Okay? Um, and when a person sins, we're in the middle of that, that the, the third English paragraph, and the second Hebrew paragraph. Kolsha, all the time, mislachech ba'avonot. And here he uses very important terminology. A person becomes dirty with sin. Okay, so a person basically dirties themselves with sin. That's how we have to understand sin. I want to emphasize this point. I can't emphasize this enough. You know, and I'm sorry if this is repetition for some of you. You know, as a child, my conception of the world of my judgment in front of God was basically, you know, I grew up with something called mitzvah notes. And I have mitzvah notes. Mitzvah notes, so I do this for my kids. It's the best idea in the world. Basically, you write a note. Dear Mora, you know, Ricky was so good and uh, at home today, she went to bed right away. We're so proud of her. You love mommy, Ava, fine. And basically, it's the best incentive because they come back to school the next day and they give these little notes, these mitzvah notes to their teachers. And that's what we call a mitzvah note. If you go through the hallways over here and you ask the teachers, they'll have reams of mitzvah notes from the, from their, from the, parent bot, from the parents, fine. My conception of the world to come Okay, or judgment from God in Rosh Hashanah was right that scale. And what's on the scale? On one side is like mitzvah notes written like by my mom. And the other side is like, I don't know what I describe as like Avera notes written by like my teacher who didn't like me. You know, he's basically, well, Yisrael was actually a jerk and was really mean to me and really obnoxious and really chutzpahdik, you know, whatever. Here, put the Avera notes and Avera note and Avera notes and basically have, ah, ah, back forth. No, my mom wrote more mitzvah notes. Great, I'm, I'm righteous. Great, okay, and it overwhelms the Avera notes, right? That's a very juvenile perspective, but I think many of us see it that way. What he's describing over here, how does he describe it? Let's read it in the English. It's just easier. When a person sins all the time and dirties himself with iniquities and sullies himself with sins and rolls in rebelliousness, what he's describing is a change in who we are. It's not just an accumulation of, okay, I have this sin, I have that sin, and it's, uh, someone's keeping accounting. It changes me. When I sin, I become a different person. It dirties my soul, right? Meaning the judgment in the world to come, no one's pulling out a, 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 a spreadsheet a recollection of what you've done. You come to the world, judgment, you know what judgment is? God looks at your soul. How dirty is it? How bright is it? How clean is it? That's the judgment. It's who we are. That is the judgment. It, every time we have to recognize, every time we sin, we are changing ourselves. Every time we do a mitzvah, every time we sin, we are dirtying this soul. Every time we do a mitzvah, you're studying Torah right now, your soul is expanding. It's getting brighter. It's becoming larger. It's becoming more expansive. Every time we do something wrong, right? It changes. It's, it's constantly in flux. That's what he's describing here. Our soul gets dirty as we sin. It's not that there's an accumulation. It's not that God counts the sins. It's that there's something actually happening. This is the way it's understood, okay? Let's keep on reading in the English, okay? Um, at the same time, right, also does, and also does righteousness and good deeds. And as deeds come before the master of all, he weighs these deeds against those, right? So basically what he's describing over here is that, um, that, that when a person, uh, you know, that every person both gets their soul dirty, but also expands their soul, right? Every one of us is a mixture of both good 
and not so good. I think that's a fair assumption. I'll speak for myself. I'm a mix of good deeds and not such good deeds, right? And God judges, weighs those. The one who is completely righteous merits for life. And so too the one evil one whose judgment is to give him good reward. And so too the evil one whose judgment is to give him good reward in this world because the good deeds he has written and signed immediately for life on Rosh Hashanah. Okay, this is the key line. The one who is completely righteous. Let's read it again. Someone who is completely righteous, meaning complete tzaddik, and so too the evil one whose judgment is to give him good reward in this world because of the good deeds, so too a Russia, someone who is not so good, but they performed good deeds. And because of those good deeds, they are worthy of getting some reward in this world. He is written and signed immediately for life on Rosh Hashanah. This is to say when the Torah, okay, so what he's describing over here is let's go back to that statement in, in, in Rosh Hashanah that we started off with. When it said a book for the completely righteous and that the completely righteous are written and signed immediately for life, it doesn't mean just for the tzaddikim. What it means is there are a group of people either because they are completely righteous or they're really evil, but they are deserving based on the few mitzvot that they did to receive life in this world, they are all judged immediately. They're all judged for life, right? Basically saying, read that Mishnah, if I may, in a rather loose fashion. He's saying, it does not mean that those who are righteous are judged for life. Those who are evil are judged for evil. All it's saying is that there are people based on their deeds who receive on Rosh Hashanah a judgment for life, either because they are so incredibly righteous or they're terrible, but they have two mitzvos and they need to get reward for those mitzvos in this world and everyone in between. That's all the Mishnah is telling us. What it's telling us is that on Rosh Hashanah, God judges us and based on our deeds, decides what our life in this world in the year to come will look like. The fact that a person has a good year, don't therefore, you know, there's the, the famous joke, like, how is Rosh Hashanah? Uh, ask me next year, right? You ever hear people say that? It's okay. Yeah, that's the, the old joke, right? How is Rosh Hashanah? Ask me next year, right? Because what is the assumption of that joke? That I only know Rosh Hashanah was good because of the judgment of the year. But if I had a good year or not, I hate to say this, it does not necessarily mean that I'm a great person. You could have the best year in the world. But what does that tell you? It tells you nothing, frankly. It really does. I'm sorry. I mean, we have to do, which means, by the way, we have to do more introspection. We can't just say, well, you know, there's a, this is, I'm sorry, I'm going to go on a quick tangent. This is important. There's a, there's a principle which has made its way into Judaism. In, in, in Christianity, it's become very, po- it was, well, have been very popular over the past decades. The note, like the, what do they call it? The church of the wealth. I forgot that there's like a term for it. Uh, what do they call it? Uh, you give money. Yeah, yeah. Basically, like when you are rich, it's a sign that God loves you. If you're poor, it's a sign that God does not like you. Okay, it's a, it's a, it's a big movement. It's a big movement. It's become more and more popular over the years. And it's gotten a little bit into Hasidic circles and made its way into like some mainstream forms of Judaism. That, right, that's not a Jewish belief. What he's basically saying over here is the fact that good things were happening to you means that God did decree that on Rosh Hashanah. But it could mean because you are the most righteous person in the world. And it could mean because you're a Rasha Marusha and you're a terrible person. But you had one mitzvah and God wants to give you a reward for that one mitzvah here. Or everything in between. So what we're being taught in that Mishnah is that on Rosh Hashanah, God judges us for the year to come based on our merits. But you have no way of ascertaining from the way your year went, whether you're a good person or not. That's not going to be the indicator. You're going to need a little more introspection to answer that question. Make sense? Right? So that, that's, how we, that's how he begins. And by the way, he says, you should know when it says this, li- when it says that the person is judged for life, he says, read that word loosely also. When it says life, it's to say life tranquility, wealth, belongings, honor. In other words, when it says, when it says that on Rosh Hashanah, such a person is judged for life, it doesn't, it's not about life only. 
It's about what life represents. Life meaning all the good things in the world. And when it says death, it means all the things included in death. Poverty and this and all, you know, bad things that could happen to a person. So basically this Mishnah, he's basically saying, rip up your essential, your basic understanding of it. The bottom line is that God judges us all in Rosh Hashanah. And there are some good deeds which get rewarded for in this world, some in the world to come. The same true for punishment. The judgment on Rosh Hashanah is only about the year to come. And how our year plays out is not an indication of the fact that we are a good person or a bad person, which goes both ways. When bad things happen, a person shouldn't necessarily say, I therefore am a Russia Marush, I'm a terrible person. Not necessarily, right? It could be that you're a really righteous person and you have two Averos that need to be cleansed, right? So when does that cleansing take place? In a rational state, sitting in this room, we're all like, give it to me here. Okay, well, it might take a lot to cleanse you from those two sins, right? So the fact that a person suffers is also not an indication of the fact that they are good or evil. It could be a reflection of sin, but it could be that they are 98% righteous, 2% dirty from sin, and they need to be cleansed from that sin. Any questions, thoughts, before we go further? Nothing? Does this make, make sense? Straightforward? Sitting well? Not sitting well? Talk to me. No? Okay. We'll leave that, we'll leave that as is. Okay, so... Let's, uh, let's, 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 let's just quickly summarize. I think we're going to have to, um, you know, let, let's read through this next two paragraphs because it kind of sums the two pieces. Let's turn to the next page and I'll read it in English. The one who's completely evil from all sides is signed immediately for death. So he says, if someone is completely evil, they're signed for death. And so to one who's a master of good deeds who stumbled with one sin and is punished for that sin for death, it is written and signed immediately for death on Rosh Hashanah, right? Similarly, you have someone who is righteous, but they have one sin and they're going to suffer for that sin. That person is judged on Rosh Hashanah. This death is to say that he will die this year or he will live with bad difficulties, a life of pain and tribulations. We've all said this. It comes out that, uh, comes out that this one is completely evil in regards to their judgments, even though they are righteous and merits the world to come. And the first one who merited life is completely evil and will be destroyed forever. To the point, okay, then he says, to the point that the greatest of prophets when he was judged over one small sin is called in that moment completely evil. Who's he referring to? Who is the greatest of prophets? Moshe. Moshe sinned. And what happens to him? He gets a terrible punishment. His entire life was living up to, leading up to going into Israel. One small sin. Talk to the rock, hit the rock. Okay, whatever your explanation is, the bottom line is it was yay big. It was nothing. It was so small. But in that, in that moment, that is evil. That is sin. And it needs to be Rectify, there has to be some punishment. There's always going to be justice in the world. No sin is overlooked. That, that would be unjust if God were to say, I'm going to look the other way. Just like we'd expect God to give us credit for all the good we do, there's a justice system. Okay, and Ahav, Ahav, who is one of the most terrible of, prophet, uh, of kings, of whom it is said about him, have you seen that Ahav humbled himself before me? He's called in that moment completely righteous. Without going into the story, Ahav is one of the most horrible uh, kings. He was part of, he killed out many Jewish leaders. Bottom line is, for one moment, he did something righteous and God speaks about him in the most glowing fashion because in that moment, he is righteous. So too, what our sages may the memory be for blessing said, that life and death are not days alone, rather includes all punishments, etc. Okay, that we, we already saw. Okay, so the basic principle he's telling us is that there are those, again, it's reiterating the principle that we've seen. Every single deed gets reward or punishment. Nothing, every, there's justice in the world and everything gets reward or punishment. There is either punishment in this world or the world to come. On Rosh Hashanah, we are judged for this year, and that could mean, and don't take it as a reflection of either or, because it could be based on a whole host of reasons. Let's read the last paragraph. The rule that our sages of blessed memory said that everyone is judged in Rosh Hashanah. It is not whether they will merit for Gan Eden and the world to come, or whether they will be guilty of Gehenna or destruction. Okay, so now he's already telling us, oh, here's now where we get a little inkling. There are other judgments that take place, something called Gan Eden, something called Gehenna, something called Olam Haba. 
We're not talking about that yet. We will there. Come back. If I didn't scare you away, we'll talk about those things. But today he's saying that judgment on Rosh Hashanah has nothing to do with anything of the soul beyond this world. It's all about this world. Because a person is judged in Rosh Hashanah only for matters of this world, if they are fit for life and tranquility or death and tribulations. This is, okay. And fine. And then he quotes, um, okay. And let's just go to the last paragraph, last sentence. Rather, this is the rule in Rosh Hashanah. Man's deeds are weighed and he is written and signed for merit or detriment in this world. According to his portion, according to his deeds in this world. Okay. When man goes to the Olam Hanishamot, Okay, when a person goes to uh, base olamo, like uh, in other words, the future, then his portion is weighed and decided upon regarding according to what is fit in the world of souls. Okay, so again, the basic point, and this is where we're going to get this out of the way, but this is a very important principle, is that again, uh, let's just quickly recap and, and focus right now. When the Talmud writes life and death, first of all, those are general categories. It doesn't mean literally a person is written for life, person death. It means all the good or all the bad. Okay, evil people may receive reward for good deeds in this world which will cause them to have a good life. And righteous people may receive punishment in this world, which will cause them to have not such a good life, right? We have no way of knowing, watching on the outside, why it is happening to someone else or to ourselves. And the last point, which is the first of three judgments, is that on Rosh Hashanah, it's decreed how the coming year will play out physically. It's based on our deeds, okay? But the system of judgment is a little bit complex. And again, we can't infer anything from that judgment. What he alludes to, and what we're going to get into in the weeks to come, is something called the soul world, right? When people tell you, there's two, people say in Judaism, there's two worlds, olam hazeh, olam haba. Okay? Have you heard that? Nachmanides will say you got it completely wrong. And most, uh, and almost everyone except for Rambam will tell you that's wrong. There are three worlds, according to them, and maybe even four worlds. There is olam hazeh, the world as we know it. There is olam hanishamot, the world of the souls, which he described to us a moment ago. And then there is Olam Haba, which is another reality. Okay? That is, he's foreshadowing that a little bit over here, telling us there are other judgments, and those will take place before those different worlds. So again, today we spoke about Olam Hazed, this world, the judgment of this world, and how Rosh Hashanah works, a little bit about how the justice system works. We're going to get into, in the weeks to come, Olam Hanishamot, the soul world, which is a different reality, and then Olam Haba, the world to come, which is an additional reality, which we're not going to get to yet. Okay, but we will talk about it as well. So I hope this made sense. Feel free to give me, I have to run, I apologize. Uh, but thank you for joining, and we'll pick up, God willing, next week, and we'll continue slowly to develop these very important ideas. Thank you.